0: This is Marnie with Maxim and Marnie for a very special Christmas episode today. Um, I typically get to interview people and tell their stories, their truths, um, and share that so that we can grow closer together um, in a respectful, honoring community at my church here in Naperville. So today I have our head pastor, Pastor John. Welcome, welcome.
1: (laughs) It's good to be here.
0: Um, And I thought we could focus on Christmas because this is going to come out at Christmas time. So we know that you're a Midwestern boy and you grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Missouri. Missouri
1: side. Actually, Blue Springs suburb suburb of Kansas City.
0: So similar feel to Naperville.
1: Yeah, somewhat similar.
0: Um, and you would go into Kansas City often?
1: Um, you know, one of the things, we're talking about Christmas, one of the things you always did at Christmas time was go in and see the lights on the plaza in Kansas City and it's, it's a it's a beautiful place. So it was, and
0: that's the city of fountains.
1: That's the city of fountains.
0: So did they light up the fountains? I don't
1: remember. They lit up the buildings. I don't remember if they lit up the fountains or not. But yes. They, but there were certainly fountains.
0: And you grew up in a house with a mom and a dad. And who were your siblings?
1: And one older brother. Uh, Paul is two years older than, than I am. And we grew up right across from the church where my dad was pastor.
0: And what's your relationship like with your brother?
1: Uh, we are, we're together... Uh, every once in a while, his, his, his daughter, our niece, is actually a student here in, in Chicago at, at uh, the Divinity School at the University of Chicago. And yes, so,
0: I met her. So
1: we get, to, we get to see them because they come to see her, and so then we get to, to be together. Because
0: so he still stayed in Kansas City.
1: No, no, he's in, he's in Minneapolis. So, he's in Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and so would you say that you guys were competitive brothers, or were you similar, different?
1: I, I am more competitive than him. Uh huh.
0: And was and, did that show up in sports or school? It,
1: um, probably yeah, some of both. The, but more sports. And we would we'd wrestle a lot, and I mean just fun fun sort of stuff. But I was the younger one, and so if I wanted to do something, sometimes I would you know um, manipulate him to, to do what I wanted to do, and, and that that was part of the relationship. So it was it was I think it's kind of normal
0: yeah. sibling sort of thing. Typical. Um, And what was it like being a pastor's kid?
1: I don't know anything else. Right. But uh, (laughs) I mean, one of the interesting things is that, I mean, so my dad was a pastor and his dad was a pastor and his dad's dad was a pastor and my mom's dad was a pastor. And so...
0: Wait, so that was four? You're the fourth?
1: Fourth generation. I wasn't going to be a pastor, but (laughs) ended up being a pastor. Here we sit. Here we sit. Yeah. And, And so that, to me, that's kind of what what I know. And so it's, uh, to me, it's a comfortable thing. It was never, I mean, some people really rebel against being a pastor's kid. That was never my experience. I was, I was always very comfortable with that.
0: When I hear that, to me, that means that your father was who he was at home, um, as well as what he said or what he preached about. So I feel like that really goes to like an authenticity and an yeah. honest way of living that faith out.
1: Yeah. I think that would be, I think that would be true. And so it was a good relationship and, uh, and we did step. One of the nice things about being a pastor is you have flexibility of schedule. And so even though he had lots of evening meetings, just like through the years I've had lots of evening meetings, you could spend afternoons at home with kids. Uh, when I was a kid, I did that. When I had kids, I did that. And it's, uh, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good thing about, about this position.
0: That's nice to hear, because I sometimes feel guilty about the draw on your guys' time. Because that's a lot of work-life balance. You guys do have lots of evening commitments and weekends, and that's hard sometimes.
1: Sometimes it is, but it provides also benefits in terms of flexibility.
2: Right. Like, Can I just say, like, every Friday, I get to spend with my kids all day long, and I know that Mandy gets to do that, like, on Saturdays, for instance, or Sundays, but, like, for me, that is that special day where I take the kids to a museum, and our family can't do that necessarily on a Saturday because of how crazy the museum is. So there's, it's just so cool. Or um, when the babysitter falls through and being able to bring the kids here, um, and we just have to roll with it when Wesley's playing with trucks underneath Pastor John's table as we're having a <laughs> meeting, which has happened multiple times. Yeah. It just, you do have that
1: flexibility, which is insanely awesome. Every situation has challenges and joys. Yeah. And it's good to look for the joys.
0: Yes. Um, can you talk about when you fell in love with your beautiful wife, Ruth? <laughs> so in, in
1: 1978 is when we first met. We, were, um, we hadn't met at all up to that point, and each of us independently had agreed to go for, for the next year on a, a Lutheran Youth Encounter ministry team traveling around the Midwest with uh, a group of five. We didn't know exactly how many, but somewhere in that neighborhood, it ended up being five people and so I remember the first time I met her in Little Canada, Minnesota, when we got together for, for a training for that that year together, and um, and then we spent time a lots of time together because we were traveling around the Midwest together with the this this group of five and singing and working with youth groups and teaching Bible studies and leading worship and and at the end of that time, well, I, it wasn't anywhere near the end of that time, but somewhere during that time, knew that after it was over, we wanted to. To stay together, and within a couple of years, we got married, and and uh, that was how we met.
0: Who said "I love you" first?
1: That is an excellent question, and I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea, but, but but the odds would be that Ruth would have said it, but just because. She would tend to be <laughs> more, more expressive. effusive with her words. That's correct. Um, em- and did you words.
0: tell an, any other women that you love them? Because I feel like at some point, when I was like in junior high, high school, it was really impressed upon me from some youth leaders, like you only say that to the person you're going to marry. They put this like really high importance on it that it would only be permanent love. And so I think I was really like, I'm not going to say it until I really, really mean it. Or I don't know. Did you have that or?
1: Uh, actually, my mom had an experience where someone told her that they loved her and then broke up with her, and so that kind of was drilled into us, kind of like what you're saying that you don't say it unless you really mean it, and so or unless it's kind of permanent. So I, I was somewhat hesitant to say that, and I have no idea if I said it to anybody else, but but it, it could have been I didn't.
0: Yeah, and, and like the likelihood of it. Right. Yeah, right. And then you have two wonderful sons. We do. And you are very close with them. And I feel like you guys do a really great job of modeling um, family and honoring that time with your sons. And um, I feel like I've seen you do that better, I think, than some have been able to do or capable or has been available to them. And so how do you, because your dad did that?
1: Could be. We, we just got back. I mean, uh, from Thanksgiving trip to to New York State, where our older son and his wife live, and they're expecting uh, their first child, our first grandchild from them. I didn't uh, know that. Right around the first of the year, and oh, so yay.
0: yeah, so we're
1: excited about that. So and this is three. So that will be three grandchildren. This is
0: more than you had kids. It's that multiplying.
1: Is
0: <laughs> You're like the Gremlins. I love it.
1: So so we went out there, and also Brian and Betsy. Our other son and daughter-in-law, and Anna, our three-year-old grandchild, and William, our six-month-old grandson—they uh, all—we were all together for Thanksgiving, and it was—it was a lot of fun. I—I I feel like we have a really nice family, and—and and some of that, I suppose, is what we did, and a lot of that is something beyond what we did, just a gift that we've received, and I am very thankful for that. We especially like to sing together, and when we're together now. Anna also is really involved in singing. Oh. William, six months, not yet, but, <laughs> but but Anna is, and we sing before before meals. And
0: That's so, darling. Yeah. So
1: it's a lot. Of um fun.
0: so you're all very agreeable. Your personalities. Your sons are agreeable, their wives happen to be quite agreeable people. Sure. I would say, but, right? Yeah. It's, because it's not a clash of personalities.
1: When when yes, that is correct. But there are also times when We don't agree so much.
0: Yes, but like a healthy intellectual debate or like, you didn't close the doors (laughs) on the cabinet debate.
1: Yeah. Well, when it's all of us together for just a couple of days, then it's all very smooth and easy. Yeah, You know, when you're together more than that, other things pop up, but you know
0: that. What's your big roommate complaint? Like, what's something that just gets under your craw? Huh. That's an old expression, crawl. What does that even? I mean? have no clue. <laughs> I'll look it up later. To, yeah.
1: So, so what's something that just irritates me? Yeah,
0: I can't see you being irritated ever.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I really like when people use their blinkers on, on their <laughs> when they're driving. I don't, love but... how you
0: say it in a positive form. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's wonderful. I want to see the world that way. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, and so, how did you guys celebrate Christmas? I would imagine slightly different than the rest of us.
1: Yeah, I am. Um, I, I suppose. Uh, we had, we had Christmas Eve services as long as I can remember. I think when I was really young that we just had, just had one Christmas Eve service. And so I think, uh, we did Christmas gift opening on Christmas Eve and, but around the church service. And then, then somewhere along the line, we started adding that as a church that my dad was pastor of grew, started adding more services and Christmas day service and, and, uh, and we kept opening gifts on Christmas Eve, but I don't remember all the the details of exactly when, but, but actually church became a big part of that. And as as we grew up, uh, as, as we grew and moved away and then our boys grew up, church became a big part uh, of Christmas Eve for them too. And usually we would sing on Christmas Eve. Can I say
2: that's one of the coolest things I've ever done? I got to sing with Pastor John, his two boys, Chris... Was there anybody yeah. myself, uh, yeah, Tyler was. Tyler Henderson, mm-hmm. uh, who we've had on here as well. We've had uh, everybody but your boys on here. Um, <laughs> to say, we sang last Christmas, it, it was it was pretty tight. It was good, but was we fun. won't do that this year. They won't, they be, won't be here this. Okay, year. bummer, yeah. but with, if they ever want to do that again, I loved that because they're better than me. like they're, they're really good, like they were catching stuff. It, they're, they're
1: better than me. Yeah, it has been. It was, I remember because I was a music student. In college, and I remember when, particularly Brent, got better than me, and it was kind of like, okay, because it's my son, this is okay. I'm competitive, but this is okay. But then it makes you better. Like that's, yeah, I, I want to be next to somebody like that. It kind like of that.
0: rises your voice.
1: It yeah it
2: yeah it makes you better.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of. fun. They weren't going to just allow uh, our
2: Christmas Eve song just to be okay. Like it it was it was fun. So I loved it.
1: Yeah, yeah that's so great. So
2: that's that's cool that
1: they so we've always bring been in, always been involved in Christmas Eve services. I remember my mom talking about. Because again, her dad was a pastor. In their family, they would go to Christmas Eve service, and I think they probably just had one. And she grew up in Edwardsville, Illinois, so mm-hmm. it was the southern part of the state. And um, they would go to Christmas, and and when they left their house, the parsonage, there there was no Christmas tree, uh, no gifts. And when they came back from church, the Christmas tree was up and decorated, and there were gifts underneath the <laughs> tree, and and her parents, her dad was. At leading the service. Her mom was at the service. So I don't know that she ever figured out or even particularly wanted to figure out how that happened, but it was, That's it was a neat cool. mystery.
0: But, yeah. Yeah. Um, so were there lots of gifts? Do you remember it being lots of things or were you like, oh, I remember Morris playing games or the meal or the... Yeah,
1: so, so one of the things that is, was a tradition that I do remember is that we did our Christmas program with our Sunday school and at the end, I think it's a German tradition, but you get a, a brown paper bag and it had like an orange and an apple and hard candy in it. And that was kind of the Christmas gift from that, from that part of the yeah. experience. And I, I think that's an old, old tradition that was kind of fun. But then at our house, there were quite a few gifts. They yeah, always, your mom liked doing that. There, there were, yeah, there were a lot of things. It was, and it was would good.
0: you say that you are good at receiving a gift when people give them to you? Or is that difficult for you?
1: No, I am... I, um, I suppose it depends, but but I enjoy getting gifts. That's that's nice.
0: Yeah. Uh, I enjoy, and, are you and I enjoy good giving at gifts. Giving? Sure.
1: I enjoy I enjoy both of those. Ruth, my wife, is particularly good though because <clears throat> she hears all year long, she hears what people say. She little little comments and she'll say, They mentioned this and then she remembers when good it at gets recall. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so she was really, she's really good.
0: At so is that, it. it must be one of her love languages. What would you say one of your love, like what's love language stands out for you?
1: Yeah. Well, They're so, what? So touch, so you have to remind me what they are.
0: Touch, words of affirmation, service, acts of service, quality Qual- time, and giving gifts.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I might go back to quality time as being a significant one for me because I, I mean, you asked earlier about my dad. My dad died when when I was like 22, so he he died really young. But what I remember from my growing up years was uh, throwing a baseball or throwing a football or playing ping pong. Or uh, I mean, it wasn't all sports, uh, but but that's those are the sorts of things the I remember. Time right. that 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 the you time that together. The time together. So I think that's probably for holds me, that's value. Probably that. Yep.
0: And how, would, um, experiencing that kind of grief and death and loss in your life at 22. Um, how did you reconcile that with your faith, or how did you move through that in a place?
1: Yeah, one, one of the things, and I've, I've shared this various places before, but when the, when the funeral happened, I've had cousins of mine and relatives say it was a beautiful funeral, but it was really focused on the good news of life everlasting and God's uh, presence, and, and that, you know, this, this is a celebration and and i at that point i was not ready to hear that that mm-hmm. was i was still in the grief and and that service did not address the grief part so when i do funerals one of the things that i am very aware of is addressing both the grief and the and the hope that i think both are really important but it took me a while after that to then to get to the point where uh i could hear the good news in that in the, in the bible verse that has become my favorite bible verse is uh, for I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And somehow, I don't know exactly how, but somehow God spoke to me through that verse in a way that that broke through uh, the grief, whereas the other stuff hadn't. And, uh, right. Yeah, so it was... Uh, and and I remember that as it's a difficult time and a very painful time, um, but also kind of a formative time in, you know, if, if, if you're not going to live forever, how, how are you going to spend the time that, that you have? And, uh, and that made clear that none of us lives forever.
0: Well, and certainly, um, something that you've been able to use as a pastor, I'm sure to make you more sympathetic, um, and not gloss over the loss for
1: people. Yeah. I, I suppose, unless you've experienced it you don't have that sense of that, and there are a lot of things that I, you know, talk with people about that I've not experienced, but that's one that I have. Right. So, you you have a, a different sense of that, and even though it is very painful, it's still a different sense of that reality. And
0: I do think you know grief can be so personal and unique to everybody how they do it. Currently, in my family, um, my mom's sister died a few months ago and fought breast cancer for over a decade. Um, and it's very sad and it will be a huge loss over the holidays. And I think that can be tricky for people. Um, and she had two children and my one cousin is choosing to, um, be alone at Christmas because she feels like that is what is the best choice for her. And Mm -hmm. I am struggling with that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, how have you talked to people through, um, different family members choosing to grieve in different ways like that?
1: Yeah. One, one of the things that. One of the things that I realize is even if it isn't my choice, it doesn't mean it's necessarily the wrong choice. That it, it could be that for, for that person at this time, that that's what they can handle. And I, I try to accept that while also listening in a way that might encourage them to not separate from the community. Because I think it's very difficult after grief to move back into the community, whether that's going to the, a church service or uh, gathering with family at Christmas or whatever it is. I think that can be difficult, but I think usually it is, it is healing to be able to get back there, but it's healing that comes with pain first. I mean, you first feel the pain and then you move beyond the pain and, and some people may not be ready to face that pain yet, but that's, that's, uh,
0: yeah, well said, well said. Mm-hmm. Um, so on to happier things, <laughs> um, when your boys were growing up, um, was Santa so loved in your home?
1: So we did not emphasize Santa.
0: Okay. I mean, okay. We didn't.
1: We didn't refuse. I mean, we didn't talk. Uh, we didn't miss Santa, but we just didn't spend a lot of time talking about talking
0: it. about it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We, we talked about when we talked about gifts. We talked about giving each other gifts and and sharing gifts. Uh, yeah. So, because of the church message. Uh, well, yeah, and just just because. I mean, it's not like there's anything wrong with it. It's just that's not what we did. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we tended to emphasize the the relationships with each other, and then again, as, as I said before, we focused a lot of time on on church and and uh, and sharing in that good news.
0: Yes, um, I think sometimes we've had some people on here, and they've it's been a really great place. I think for people to share um, how doubt and faith um, that they've walked that path. Um, so tightly and how as a church i think it's important to embrace that mm-hmm. um, how mm-hmm. do you help people um, affirm that um, place and space and walking that path
1: yeah there there's one um there's one place in scripture where it says it's typically translated uh, but the disciples um, I think it's they followed or they believed but some doubted but actually the word some isn't in the original language it, it just said they they followed and doubted, or they believed and doubted. I, I think it's a real natural part of of faith is to not not know all the answers, to wonder about what's what's true and real, and and that's one of the reasons I think we need the community as, as we come together is is to is to wonder together and then to affirm what is true for each of us to be able to share that uh, that even in the midst of doubt that there can be uh, confidence and hope and peace and joy in, in the love that God gives. I mean, I, I I don't know that there's ever a time where, where you don't have doubt. I think it's, well, that's not true. There are, there are moments when you have confidence and the doubt isn't there, but, but I think through the years, the doubt ebbs and flows. And so I think that's kind of a, a natural and maybe even healthy part of our faith.
0: Yeah, I love that you say that. That's wonderful. Um, So you're now, uh, you were at that other church for 20 years?
1: Church in St. Louis for, yeah, a little over 20 years.
0: And then um, Ignition got to go there and spend time. That's
1: right. So some of the, well, the the choir, the Eagles Uh, Wings Choir. Sorry, 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 Eagles Wings, yes. Yeah, they they actually had a chance to spend a weekend down at the congregation that that I serve. It would have been fun to see the two worlds... Uh, interact. Right. But I d- didn't have that chance, but I heard some good stories when they got back. So it's
0: yeah, they I know from personal uh, person that went uh, that it was a great experience, and they got good. to sing with your um, high school worship band.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So
0: that's very cool. It is. And so now, how long have you been at Our Saviors?
1: Oh, uh, six years. That so is it, a blink. It, it is. It is. It's kind of amazing that it's been that long so soon.
0: Um, and what would you say is a difference and what would you say is a similarity between the two communities?
1: Again, they are. there's a lot of similarities. I mean, the feel is very similar. I mean, suburban St. Louis, suburban Chicago. One of the differences is that Chicago is just so big. Mm. It's just, I mean, and that provides opportunity and that also means that when people say they came from this suburb or this neighborhood i don't usually know where that is right. <laughs> and, uh, them, yeah. <laughs> and even after six years i still don't know where that is right and so the size is just very different and there are two baseball teams here so i mean in st louis you everybody cheers for the same baseball team and i still do and, <laughs> but uh, but here it's it's a different feel than that yeah yeah but a lot of it is the same i mean it's very similar
0: um, and what is the thing that you think a congregation can do to best support their pastors? What what is language they can use? Um, what is acts of service that they can do that best supports um, a pastor in a church?
1: Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. I don't I don't think about that a whole lot. Uh, I I know that we always talk about asking the congregation to pray for for the leadership and the pastors. I think in in this setting, one of the things that is really helpful is uh, to not expect that all the decisions and all the uh, ministry will happen by the pastors and staff. That ministry, even though we might not use that word, ministry, service, uh, mission, it's all something that, that we share. All of us do. And so to me, that's, that is, if we're able to, to walk side by side in doing ministry and mission together, then that is an amazing supportive thing because then you are part of the team rather than uh, separated from the the rest of the body of Christ in this place. And so I think that, that's pretty important.
0: Um, what is something that comes most naturally to you as a pastor and what is something that is most challenging to you as a
1: pastor? I I very much like to preach. I um,
0: You're I, very good at it. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I, I enjoy doing very that. It's conversational, I feel like.
1: Yeah, and and uh I remember the first times I did that, I was very nervous, but much less nervous after after all these years of doing it right but i but i i, I mean it, it still takes a lot of time and it's hard work to create it but it's mm-hmm. also that hard work to me is fun mm. to to be able to do that so that's something that i I very much enjoy and i think is is something that is not i think for some it's more difficult than it is for me i think it is it comes relatively easily i don't I don't
2: know that if I've ever asked you, but do you have a similar style of preaching to your dad? I, it,
1: not really. Okay. There are... Huh? So so one of the things we found is that we have printed sermons from my dad and my grandfather, and my <laughs> great-grandfather, mm. and my mom's father, and they're all different. Okay. I don't know how much of that is because of the era. Sure. You know, the different yeah. years that they right. preached. I, I of, all, of all of them, I am most similar to my dad because he's very relational, mm. but... But he he had a different style. I I probably use more more story and more uh, teaching style than,
2: than he did. But I, I've always I and I, I might have mentioned this to you before, but I've always connected like your style of preaching. I'm like I bet you his dad was like that because <laughs> you just you come out and you can tell that you love it and you're personable and because you share those stories that um, that's where I've always uh, drawn that line. So that's and, that's and cool that part of
1: it is probably similar. Yeah, the relational and. <clears throat> And, and yeah. enjoying the experience of, of doing that, yeah. yeah, I think it kind of is.
0: What's something that you find challenging?
1: What I find challenging is uh, there are certain conflict situations that I think are really difficult, uh, and, and it depends on the type of conflict. It used to be that I would have said I just don't like conflict. I don't really think that's true. I think uh, I think there are types of conflict when when we're able to just sit down and discuss the the issues and work through that, that I, that's actually kind of fun. But when there is that, that pain that comes with it, that there's brokenness in the community because of conflict, it is, that is very difficult. I, I remember a situation where I had to sit down with someone who uh, was not at all happy with me. And, and I'm really glad I did that, but it, it was not fun and it was, Mm -hmm. it was painful to hear, uh, their pain in the relationship and to, to feel respons- a certain level of responsibility. I mean, we shared responsibility, but to mm-hmm. feel some of that, and that's difficult. Well,
0: because so many people are putting certain things on you because you, you're being owned by all of us as our pastor. Um, so, the, there, yeah, there's so a there lot. So
1: there are times when, in, as a pastor, you need to say, okay, this person is upset with the position. Mm-hmm. You know, and regardless of who it was in this position, they would be upset. There are other times when uh, they are upset because they probably because they have a right to be upset and because uh, I, we have failed in, in what we were called to do.
0: Yeah, that's so humble of you. So you take that really well, because I feel like if somebody wants to criticize me or give me um, a helpful advice. I need it wrapped like up in a really, really soft cuddly bow <laughs> for me to absorb it um, and not become defensive. I feel like I've gotten better the older I've gotten, but right. You probably get lots of criticism and I, of being in and the I, front. And I
1: tend not to like it, but just okay. just, just like you tend not to like it, but, okay. but you also move on and you have to be with. And
0: so what you just say, like, where, yeah, like how you said earlier, where is the truth in this? Where is the part that is me? And and why yeah how why am I receiving it this way or how am I reacting and
1: and sometimes you just go home and sit in a chair and just feel the pain for a while I mean just like any other pain
0: right Yep and then you try to grow from it or yeah. let it go or well, and, change what you can and and, and I actually
1: think that I mean the Holy Spirit I think God works in that too I mean why is it that we are able to heal I. I think yeah. it's because God allows us, has created us in a way that heals. And that, that means when you get a cut on your finger, it eventually heals. It also means when you have pain in relationships, you eventually heal. Even though there's a mystery to that, that uh, it, it's not always clear why you're healing, but, but you do. God heals you and, uh, and continues to help you to grow.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, I was going to circle back to a story that you told once because uh, it really resonated with a bunch of the kids, uh, the high schoolers, because we talked about it quite a bit at Ignition. And it was the story that you told about the father whose son was an addict. Oh,
2: I've heard like three or four different people talk about it since then.
0: That yeah, can, really you affected tell, people. can you tell that story?
1: Well, it was a story actually that I heard from another pastor that, um, that their son... After high school, just kind of separated from the family and and ended up moving into uh, the drug culture. In and this was actually in Chicago, in the city of Chicago, and uh, and then kind of just tried to separate from the family, and the family tried to keep in touch. And then one night, the dad was a pastor. One night, uh, they got a call about two in the morning that that the son had had gotten a DUI and was was in the in the precinct the police precinct and that the dad was going to come down and and pick him up and he went down and told him what was going on and there was nobody there I mean his son wasn't there and so he said well maybe I have the wrong precinct so he went to the next precinct and and the son wasn't there and he tried a couple more and the son wasn't there and he kept thinking well I have to get up in just a couple hours and lead lead church but I still need to find my son and he finally went to the to the home, that the, the address they last knew that their son was staying in. And, and he went in and he went through the different rooms where all the people were sleeping and finally in one of the back rooms found his son asleep. And just the moment overwhelmed him and he, he fell down to his knees and without waking him up, he leaned down and, and kissed his son on the cheek and then got up and left. Didn't even talk to him. And after a, a few weeks... The son showed up at home, and then didn't stay for very long. And then, a few weeks later, came home again. And then the, the the length of time in between visits kept getting shorter, and until he was he was reconnecting with his family again. And and finally, at one of those times, uh, his dad got up the courage to ask him and say, "What, what, what changed? What happened?" And he said, "Don't you know? It was that night." Uh, Nothing happened with the police. It was just my friends and I playing a prank on you, thinking how, how funny it would be that to keep you awake all night before you had to go to church the next morning. And when you came to that house where I was, finally got there, we actually hadn't been asleep. We were watching the street, and we saw you coming. We all went and pretended to be asleep, and I saw you come. And I was sure when you came into the room that you would be so, so mad. And instead of kicking me, you kissed me, and it made all the difference and he reconnected with his family. And I think that's what God's love is like for us, that we keep messing up. Uh, we, do a, we, we are at the same time Satan and sinner. We do wonderful things. We have amazing uh, ability to care, and at the same time, we have amazing ability to fail. And God loves us through all of it and continues to, to hold us tight in God's arms and kiss us on the cheek and welcome us and continue to love us into service. And I, I think it's a pretty neat story, too. I, like
0: I think it's beautiful. And I feel like a lot of the kids, uh, when we were discussing it, were like, I would just want to wake him up and, and just yeah. talk to him. And yeah. and I just and bring him home. Or And I was like, right. And the fact that he just gave it without expecting anything, anything in return, mm-hmm. I think is what makes it just so beautiful yeah. and obviously so impactful to that person. But very hard to do.
1: It's fun to hear that the kids
2: were talking about it. Yeah, that's
0: it yeah. was really cool.
2: What, it wasn't on here though, but like i I've heard adults talk about it, and that's why I'm like, okay, there are many illustrations and images, but that one hit people to the core somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it did
0: well, right? Because I think people, you know. I don't have anyone in my life that, um, is addicted to anything or has gone through that really closely, but to know that like the way that you tell it is pretty clean in the beginning, right? Like you don't talk about, I'm sure all of the hurt and all right. of the, uh, the peripheral stories that I know, the fevery and the deceit and the manipulation that happened prior to that, yep. you know, can get pretty ugly and hurtful. So the fact that that was still given post all of
1: that. Forgiveness in the midst of all that
0: forgiveness oh, yeah. in the midst of all the yuck. Yep.
1: yep.
0: Um, and, uh, moving along to, um, I, you mentioned that you might have a slight little Christmas story that you could share with all of us.
1: Sure. Actually, I, uh, I told a story back in the first, the first Christmas Eve that I was here at our savior. So about six years ago. And, uh, and I, I found my notes from that story, Perfect. but it was a story actually, as we were talking about my dad, that I, I think it was actually written by Pearl Buck, the the author.
0: Pearl S. Buck, the one from that one. What was that one where they bind their feet?
1: Well, the Pearl I know was one. I don't know if that was the one or not.
0: What was that? Good, The Good Earth.
1: Good Earth. That yeah. was. Pearl is that Buck. her? I, I think it's. I think that's her. But I, okay. I learned it because this is one where I heard it from my dad when he was preaching, and then remembered it and went back and found <clears> it in in his sermon. So this is one where it, it's kind of similar, but. But it's about a man who's remembering back to when he was a 15-year-old boy, and he grew up on a dairy farm. And uh, he was remembering that Christmas and from way back when, and he was lying in bed. When the, when the story starts, he was lying in bed waiting for sleep, and he hears his parents talking, and he hears his dad saying how he, how he hates to wake him up, how he hates to wake up this son, Rob, in the morning, because, because Rob doesn't want to wake up in the morning, just like sometimes I don't want to wake up in the morning. And his wife says, I know, but, I mean, you got to wake him up. You need his help because it's a dairy farm and we got to get the work done. And as Rob heard the conversation, he started to realize the way that his dad loved him, even though what he was seeing was mostly how his dad was waking him up every morning, that his dad still cared about him. And he decided that he wasn't going to waste any more time in the morning, that he was going to get up, even though he didn't want to, and do his work. And when it came time for Christmas, he had gotten his dad a tie like he usually did, And he decided, maybe that isn't enough, because I can see how much my dad loves me. And then he thought, you know, Christmas began in a barn, and maybe my Christmas gift can be in a barn. And so he decided that for Christmas morning, he would get up really, really early, and he would go out to the barn, and he would milk the cows before his dad ever got up, and he'd take care of the chores without even being asked. And on that Christmas Eve, before the Christmas morning when he was going to do this, he must have woken up 20 times thinking he was going to oversleep but he got up like quarter to three, 2.45 in the morning to go out to the barn and do the milking of the cows. And he got it all done and all cleaned up and back in bed just before his dad came into the, to the room to wake him up. And he tried to make no noise and act as, as grumpy as he normally would when he was getting up that next morning when his dad came in. And then he just, after, after his dad came in to wake him up and headed out to the barn, he just lay there in bed and waited. And then said, his dad came back in. And his dad said, Rob. And he said, yes, dad. And then it said his father was laughing, kind of a crying sort of laugh. And the dad said, thought you'd fool me, didn't you? And he said, it's for Christmas, dad. And he said, son, thank you. I can't find words. Nobody's done a nicer thing. And I always like that story. It's just simple. Yeah. That it's the everyday things that can make the difference. And, uh, and for that boy and that dad, that little, that little act uh, was a Christmas gift.
0: That's really, really lovely. My mom, uh, several years ago, from my dad's <clears throat> birthday or Christmas, said she was no longer going to talk about his clothes when they left the house. So sometimes he loves to work in his workshop in the basement, mm-hmm. and so he might have covered in sand, dust, sawdust, um, and paint splatters. You know, and maybe his lunch a little bit on his shirt. Right. And they would go, "We're gonna run an errand real quick," you know, to the mall. And she'd be like, "Oh, you know, why don't why don't you go change your pants?" And he would always be like, "Why do you care? I'm fine," you know. Yeah, so. And so she said, "My gift is that I will not bring up what you were wearing." <laughs> uh, so she hasn't. She's been good for it. In fact, she brought it up a couple... Uh a couple of weeks ago we were talking about it and my dad was like nope she hasn't said anything and said it's been really hard sometimes <laughs>
2: it's the little things but she hasn't done <laughs> it. Really it goes back to love languages though like so that son was able to, to listen to his father's love language and and to give that gift because there are plenty of times in like relationships where, where you have conflict is you're not listening to the other person you're not giving the right. love language they're they're hoping for and so when you can finally have that breakthrough I think it's, it's big.
0: The act of That's service <laughs> yeah. was Talk about your clothes. (laughs) Was his dad's love language. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I hope you had a great time on our little podcast. Yeah, this is your first
1: podcast. This is. I've never, never done this before. So this well, is something new. Welcome.
0: You were great. And thanks for being our head pastor. And um, my favorite thing about your message and the way that you walk through our community is the grace that you talk about um, and the grace that I feel like you exude uh, in your presence and your spirit amongst our community. Um, so I well, think that's beautiful to teach us um, and to watch you model it so well. So thank you, thank you much. so much. Yep. Thank thank you Christmas, you. Merry, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye.